You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuts. All right, folks. Well, as I mentioned in the last episode, you know, most of the time I bring a guest on the show and interview a guest. And then once in a while, Brendan and I get on the microphones. We'll talk about a concept from managing leadership anxiety. Um, Obviously, I think many of you now know that I've launched this online community called Capable Life. And I'm adding tools that aren't in the MLA book. And that's what this series of podcasts is about. Uh, This is part two in uh, the dynamics of criticism. Last week in part one, if, if you missed it, you can catch it. Uh, we really focused on the internal critic, the inner critic and the giants on our shoulders. And I gave you some really tangible tools on how you can work through the inner critic and how you can help get the giants on your shoulders off your shoulder. This week's part two, and we're actually now going to move to the external sources of criticism. I, I'm pretty sure this will be a three-part podcast episode. We'll kind of see how long it goes. But let me just read the external sources of criticism and we'll do three of them in this episode and then three in the next. All right, we have the usual suspects. We have the garden variety critics. We have the helpful feedback critics. We have the dynamic of secondhand criticism. Then we have same meeting, different experience criticism. Finally, we have cumulative criticism. So the first three, usual suspects, garden variety, helpful feedback. These are the types of people. The second three, Secondhand criticism, same meeting, different experience criticism, cumulative criticism. These are different kinds of criticism dynamics. All right. So in this episode, let's deal with the people. User suspects, garden variety critics, helpful feedback critics. And actually, we're going to take them in reverse order because really what I want to get to today is how do you handle the usual suspect? You know, the usual suspect critic, almost every organization has a number of them. These are the people that no matter what you say, no matter how many times you meet, no matter what insight you give them, they never shift off their criticism of you. They never come around. They, you, you know, and, and these are the people that take up so much mental real estate in your head. And yet the, the fundamental problem is it's not about you. And actually the reason that you're anxious about your usual suspect critics, aside from the real damage that they do, is because you still believe that you can reason with them. You believe that more insight from you will actually change their mind. So we'll spend most of this episode talking about usual suspect critics, how to notice them, how to notice the difference between a usual suspect and a garden variety critic. Uh, That's a really key piece of information. And then hopefully some tools just to lessen their impact on you. So let's start with the easiest ones. The easiest critic, and, and I, you know, I probably shouldn't even call him a critic, but for now, let's do it. The helpful feedback critic. And I guess the reason I'm labeling them a critic isn't because of them. They're actually a gift. It's because for many of us in leadership, particularly those of us in church leadership, we take our vocation so seriously, so personally, that sometimes for us, any feedback we see through the lens of criticism. But this is the person who pulls you aside and they point out a blind spot in your life they coach you through a mistake, they give you feedback on the impact of your actions and behavior. And the reason I call it helpful feedback is I don't know how I would grow as a leader without these people. These people are an absolute gift to me. Now, ideally, the best 
helpful feedback critic is somebody who's in the trenches with you. Sometimes the hardest criticism to take is the uninvolved skeptic who's technically right. You know what I mean? Like, like there you are in the trenches with your team and you're sweating and you're mentally trying to figure it out and you're pouring it all out and sacrificing. And then that person is on the sidelines, unengaged, uninvolved, uninvested. They don't really have any appreciation for how hard it was for you to get to where you were. And they give you a piece of feedback <laughs> and it's right. Oh man, that drives me crazy. Okay, but still, they're right. And, and learning to listen to them will make you a better leader. But actually, I would say the overwhelming majority of helpful feedback I've gotten in my life are from people in the trenches with me. And, you know, they'll pull me aside. Sometimes there's people who I work for. Sometimes there's people who work for me. I personally think a healthy organization is one where anybody can give feedback to anybody. So I'm the lead pastor in our church. I have elders over me. And I've had elders pull me aside and give me really helpful feedback. I've grown as a leader because of those in authority over me. Also, what's true is I've had people who work for me, people who, you know, who I'm over in authority, who have given me feedback on my actions or my posture. And by golly, that's been a gift. So that's helpful feedback. You know, sometimes I'm very open to it in the moment. Sometimes I'm defensive. That's normal. It's, it's, it's hard to listen to feedback. But if you don't embrace it and thank the person, you know, you just won't grow as a leader. All right, the second category, it's, it's equally as simple. This is the garden variety critic. Um, these people, they're not really malicious. They just think they know better or they just have an idea or feedback for you that they want to share. Uh, the way I say it in church circles, I, I think it's the same for school teachers and it certainly might be the same for other vocations as well. In church circles, the problem is because people go to church, over time, by going to church, they start to believe they know how to lead a church. So those of you in the medical profession who are listening, I'm guessing you run into the same dynamic, right? Like people go to a doctor a lot and they watch hospital dramas. And so they have a strong opinion about your medical diagnosis, right? The, the infamous second opinion. I've also run into this as I've coached in school settings, school teachers, you know, because people are so invested in their kids' education, they really do believe they know how to educate their child you know, maybe better than you do. Boy, that definitely happens in a church. And also what happens is because God's involved in a church, people really feel like sometimes they're representing God. All right, so the helpful feedback critic. This is just the person who, if you listen to them, you'll grow and become a better leader. The garden variety critic, these can really wear you down as a leader because they're usually the paper cuts of leadership, right? like just one after the other after the other. And, you know, a lot of what 2020 brought out of the woodwork for faith leaders was garden variety critics. These are people generally of good intent, but we just heard from a lot of them, right? Like open the church or do the church online. We heard from garden variety critics. Stand up for racial injustice. You know, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, that whole nonsense. Uh, garden variety critics, political strife, all of it. And so the difference between a garden variety critic and a usual suspect is often that the garden variety critic will generally move toward you when you give them your insight. So if you sit down with someone and they give you feedback on how they think things should have been, let's say they're right. Let's say they gave you feedback and they're just right. You know, and you say to them, you know what, you're right. We, that would have been the better way to do it. However, we didn't have that information when we had to make the decision. And here's why we made the decision the way we did. But honestly, you're right. It, Looking back now, we should have decided differently. Maybe that's how the interaction goes. 
the garden variety critic says, oh, well, I, I just really, I see where you're coming from and thanks for listening to me. You have this connection, right? You have this human connection and you come to a resolution. Usual suspect critics, one of the things that makes them distinct is you're never able to resolve. We'll get to this in a few minutes, but when you give them insight, it doesn't help them move toward you. They actually weaponize your insight and they hit you back with it. They twist it and hit you back. Usual suspect critics, uh, quite famously, they'll bring up a litany of issues. And as you try to like detangle all the issues they brought up and you take them one at a time, they keep moving the target on you, you never really come to resolution. So we'll get into some of the dynamics of usual suspect critics, but that's where I want to spend my time now. So maybe you're going for a jog as you listen to this, maybe you're driving in the car. I've got a couple of questions for you. I'm just going to invite you to answer. Uh, Here's the first question. How many people total are in your organization? How many total people are in your organization? So, you know, in our congregation, we have somewhere between 900 and 1200 people that connect with us each week in church services. But we have about two and a half thousand people who would consider our church their home church. So we have about two and a half thousand people in our organization. So out of the size of your organization, whatever number you said, 80 people, 7,000 people, right? Whatever number it was. How many of those people are usual suspects? How many of those people, no matter what you say, no matter how many times you meet, no matter what insight you give, no matter how long you've been leading, they will never come around and agree. They just are your constant critics. They're like Psalm 46. They're an ever-present companion in times of trouble. Like when you're hurting, you can count on them to be there to cut you down. How many of those people? In our church, I've got six. So two and a half thousand in the organization, six of them are usual suspects. And they've been usual suspects, most of them for about a decade or more. Like as long as I've been at this church or, or almost as long as I've been here, they've been that constant usual suspect. Now, the reason I do this simple exercise, like the total number of people in your organization versus the usual suspects, is usual suspects will absolutely make you anxious. It's just, it's just a guarantee. You're going to get anxious. You're just human. They'll send that email. They'll talk about you behind the, your back, all of that. They'll escalate things. It will make you anxious. There's nothing wrong with you if it makes you anxious. My concern is, that they are taking up an inordinate amount of mental real estate in your head. You know, in my case, six out of two and a half thousand, that's a fractional percentage. And yet, for years, I spent so much time chasing them, so much time trying to give them my insight because I believed the fallacy that if they just understood where I was coming from and if they just could see my heart, they would discover that I'm actually a decent human being. Here's another way to put it. I believed the fallacy that it was about me. But of course, with usual suspects, it's not about me at all. It's about them. And part of the dynamic I set up with my usual suspects critics in the early days was perpetuating the problem by constantly meeting with them, trying to reason with them. So how many people in your organization, how many are usual suspects? And now today's the day that you can make a vow and say, okay, I'm still going to get anxious. I can't get rid of them. Like they're they're just part of the community. Maybe you can. I was actually uh, talking to a friend of mine who actually escalated to the police department. uh, And that's a long story, but it was a fun story. So maybe you can get rid of them. But let's say that they're just part of your organization. That's the way it is. What you can vow to do is to stop letting them take up as much emotional energy as you're giving now. And you can certainly vow 
to stop perpetuating the cycle. One of the things that I discovered was that I was contributing to the problem. Not that I can change them, but that I was perpetuating uh, their engagement. Uh, one of the things I teach when I do seminars on, on criticism is I teach people don't feed the wildlife, right? Stop feeding the wildlife. And a lot of what we do with our usual suspect critics is we feed them by continuing to meet, continuing to give them insight, chasing them to try to win them over. This is the day, friends, that I'm saying enough, no more winning them over. It's a very reasonable question that you might be asking. Well, how do you tell the difference between a usual suspect critic, a garden variety critic, and a helpful feedback critic? Well, there's two uh, signs that I use. Here's number one. Can you hit their target? Can you hit their target? Oftentimes what a usual suspect critic will do is they'll bring a criticism of you that's twisted. Maybe there's some truth to it, but oftentimes there's just a tiny kernel of truth and then a twisted view of reality that is not actually congruent with what's going on, with who you are, with how you lead, with your integrity. And as you try to show them who you are or what's really going on or reality, they shift the target. Here's another way of saying it. I've, I've met with several usual suspects where they'll pile on. They'll do like a dog pile. Maybe we'll meet and they'll just give me a whole litany of issues. And I'll say, okay, well, let's take these one at a time. You first mentioned this. Let's take this issue. You first mentioned it. And as I start to explain what was going on and how their view of it is actually not accurate to what really happened, they'll never let me resolve. They'll never give the satisfaction of saying, oh, okay, well, I, I, I was wrong or I didn't have all the information. You know, you're, it's like you're coming into land and they'll bounce off it and raise the next issue. One of the surefire ways you know you're dealing with a usual suspect is an inability to resolve any of their issues. As you begin to resolve them, they keep shifting the target on you. So one of the things that you can pay attention next time you're in a meeting with a usual suspect is you can lay a little mental trap for yourself and notice when they are shifting the target on you, never letting you resolve. A garden variety critic will stay on topic because they genuinely want to understand and hopefully you genuinely want to understand them. And so you can land, right? Even if you disagree, I'm not talking about convincing them. I'm just talking about having a common understanding. But a surefire way you're dealing with the usual suspect is they have a twisted view of reality and they are using it against you. They're believing the worst about you. They're distorting uh, the little they know and filling in the gaps with you being malicious or nefarious or something like that. And then uh, the second way that you know they're a usual suspect is when you give them insight about you or about your heart, when you're vulnerable with them, they wield your vulnerability against you. They weaponize your vulnerability. Our executive pastor at our church, Tom, he famously coined the phrase, when you give them your insight, you're just giving them a bigger stick to hit you with. You're just giving them more ammunition. Sometimes you have to discover a usual suspect the hard way because you meet with them and then later you find that by sharing your heart and your vulnerability and where you're coming from, that you've just given them more insight to twist against you. Now, the third way, and this is the most surefire way you know a usual suspect, is when they are unwilling to move toward reality. That is the sign that you're dealing with a usual suspect critic. They are unwilling to move toward reality. 
I'm not talking about how two different people can have genuinely different experiences and different perspectives on the same set of facts. That's, that's human. I'm talking about when there is an objective reality of what really happened, a number of people agree, a number of people, and this one person is deciding to stand alone in their own, for example, conspiracy theory. We've seen a lot of this in this last year. These people that are believing these crazy conspiracy theories and they're not letting the facts help them move toward the light. So just in recap, usual suspects, are they shifting the target? Are they uh, wielding your vulnerability against you? Are they moving toward the truth or are they remaining convinced of their own paranoid or twisted opinion? This is how I know I have these usual suspects. So a few things. Okay, once you've identified, you're like, okay, well, these people are not garden variety critics. These are usual suspect critics. Once you've identified them, the next thing to do is you never meet with them alone. Always bring a leader or two with you for a couple of reasons. Number one, you need witnesses to observe your behavior and what you said because the critic will leave the meeting and weaponize your words against you to other people. So you need witnesses for your own protection. And ideally, it should be somebody over you. So when I meet with a usual suspect, I still meet with any usual suspect critic that wants to meet. But I always bring one or preferably two elders with me so that they can observe, witness. But not just as a witness, uh, a, a, a few, probably half of my usual suspect critics, they treat me terribly when it's just me and that person in the room. Or oftentimes I've got a couple of them where they eviscerate me behind my back to others. But when I have witnesses in the room, they're on their best behavior. Now, I'm just describing bullying, basically. And so another reason to bring witnesses is to keep them on their toes, to make sure that they are behaving appropriately. In the early days of my leadership, I'm, I'm chagrined to admit that I, I believe somewhere that I needed to be a punching bag, that people had dysfunction and so on, and that it was okay if they kind of treated me poorly. And more recently, I realize it's certainly not good for me because I go away bleeding out, but it's not good for the usual suspect to be in the habit of treating somebody poorly either. And I'll just wait, make one more comment about a usual suspect I've noticed. You know, I'm almost loath to talk about this because there's so much abuse going on in leadership right now. There's so much abuse of power being exposed. But what's also happening in leadership is people are highly suspicious of leaders with integrity. Right? I don't know if you've noticed that too, but if, if you're a leader with integrity, people see you through a, a, a preconceived notion that isn't who you really are and they're kind of projecting onto you mistrust or, or they've put you either on a pedestal and you've let them down or they've like turned you into a monster in their mind where there's nothing you can do. And one of the things I try to do with my usual suspects is to show them that I'm exactly human-sized because actually... That's all God ever expects from us is to be an exactly human-sized leader who makes mistakes, who gets it wrong, who learns as you go, right? But your usual suspects, critics, don't know how to treat you as a human being. They only know how to either eviscerate you or, you know, right? Like their pain and their wounding from you is, is outsized from the accusation of whatever, whatever it is that you might have done. 
So that's usual suspects critics. And I just want to close with the way I open with them. I think the problem with leaders isn't that they make us anxious. As long as you have critics emailing you and stabbing you in the back and talking behind your back and getting a phantom mob against you, all of these dynamics, they will absolutely generate anxiety for you. That's human. It's okay. But my concern is that you're chasing after them, that you're trying to win them over. So when I meet with a usual suspect critic now, I don't give them my insight. I don't give them my vulnerability. They have lost the right to get insight from me on why I did what I did or where I was coming from. They have lost the right to my vulnerability because they're not safe people. So I'll meet with them and I'll listen. Oftentimes I'll let the elders do most of the talking. But I've just had to learn no more insight. So one of the things that you can vow to do is to stop chasing the usual suspects and you can actually start to show them the impact of their actions. I have another dynamic where I talk about a mixed message and how sometimes the powerful thing to do is to show somebody that if the target was to defeat you or, or hit you, that well done. So I've, I've mentioned a number of times to, to usual suspects when I meet with them, I'll say, hey, if your goal today was to hurt me, I just want you to know you hit your target. You hurt me today. You said things that really do hurt. And I've even had a couple of usual suspects double down and they'll say something like, what are you, sensitive or weak or something? And I'll go down further than them. I'll say, yeah, that's right, I am. I, I feel deeply, I take things personally. So you can just know that if your goal was to hurt me, you hurt me. I've also had, um, I've, I've had, and this is pretty aggressive, but I've done this after meeting a few times with a usual suspect critic where I'll say, I thought, the plan today was to resolve issues, but as we try to resolve them, you keep shifting the target. So I think your goal today was to defeat me. So if that's the goal, then I just want you to know you you accomplished it. I've lost. Like I've not been able to convince you of anything. So if the game today was Steve loses, then I, I want you to know you won. You won that game. It's mostly for me. Like that may sound aggressive to you or very abrupt. But you can say it in a way that's very kind and clear, but it's sending a message to the person, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not going to be treated like a punching bag. It's also helping communicate to those in authority that you, you don't let people do this. Uh, and it really puts them on the back foot and forces them to decide what they're going to do. This is part two. Uh, next episode, we'll go part three, um, some dynamics of criticism. And this is just one of the many modules that you can find in Capable Life, www.capablelife.me. I've been teaching a class at our church for about 10 years now, and we meet every other week and we teach a concept or a tool. We put people into, into small trusted peer groups. And we go deep over a year. And so since MLA book came out, I've been trying to figure out how do I help people virtually experience what we do in our church, and that's what Capable Life is. It's a lot of the tools for managing leadership anxiety, but it's also some tools that I've developed since the book came out, and this is one of them, how you handle criticism, how you get the hang of the inner critic and the external critics. 
So it's $28 a month or it's $280 if you want to sign up for a year. Right now we have eight different modules on there and you can work your way through. And the beauty of these modules is most of them have a number of videos, but each video is only 10 minutes long. So you can watch a video a week or a couple of videos a week. There's an online confidential discussion forum where you are safe to share freely. And listen, folks, we have pastors, we have missionaries from all over the world, we have medical professionals, business leaders sharing so vulnerably about what their, cha- what their challenges are, what they're dealing with. We also have monthly Zoom calls with a certified coach, people who have been trained in the MLA tools and the Capable Life tools. And we also have these specialty masterclasses. In fact, I did a one-hour masterclass on rising above criticism. And if you join Capable Life, you get full access to that right away. So www.capablelife.me. If, even if you just want to do a month, it's 28 bucks. You just sign up for a month, you give it a shot. But everything we're talking about on the podcast and like 50 times more is on Capable Life. I'd encourage you to check that out if you want to experience deeper health this year, if you want to find some freedom. All right, so that was uh, three types of critics. And then the next episode, we'll, we'll jump into some dynamics of criticism. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org. 